0: This morning, we're going to be looking at the Christmas story. And if you would uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter uh, 2, uh, verses 1 through verse uh, 14. And I'm going to read it for you. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while uh, Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went out from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time had come for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn a son. And she wrapped them in cloths and placed them in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these words that we are so familiar with. That many of us have grown up with the Christmas story since we were little. And we could imagine that scene in which that little baby was born. While the world may see it as some sort of fairy tale, maybe even a myth, we see it as the most historic, most fundamental uh, event of human history. For in that moment, you demonstrated your love by sending your son to us to remind us that the only hope for mankind lies with that baby who is actually you in human flesh. And so, Father, as we pray about peace, as we pray for peace, we are reminded that baby is peace. And so as we focus on peace this morning, thank you. the birth of Jesus and we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. In some ways we are living in some of the best times. Economically some of our uh, retirement funds have hit through the roof where this was one of the best years for stocks. We're also living in not only prosperous times we're living in a, a relatively a military free time. There is very little conflict going on around the world. Uh, We have troops that are stationed, but really, again, there's no major wars that we know of. Uh, Even from uh, some of the other things that are happening, this this is a a relatively peaceful time. And yet, at the same time, while we are sort of living in these prosperous times, we're also living in also some restless times. This past week, uh, the president just got impeached, the third president uh, ever in the history as the political conflict has become even more fractured, polarized. We have seen a nation in unrest as racial conflict has been elevated. We see people who are fighting against each other. We see murders happening. We see drug abuse increasing. There are times in which, even though there's prosperity, there's also a sense of desperateness. This nation is seriously distressed. If I were to sort of have a prayer, it is a nation that is praying for peace. Isn't it ironic that even though there is peace on one hand, there is a lack of peace on the other. If there is one word that defines this new generation growing up, it is the word anxiety. No other word sort of brings to mind the feeling of restlessness as our young people are growing up with this rising level of of fear, a rising level of worry. Even though they have a lot, sometimes they feel they have very little. Loneliness, depression, addictions are all part of the symptoms that we see. There is something that is missing, and that thing that is missing is peace. I think for many of us, we cry out for peace. And and, and we sort of wonder, everything is great on the outside. Why is there a lack of peace on the inside? Well, I think we are missing the true component of peace. See, Peace is is one of the most important words in all of Scripture. Uh, It is used 460 times in the Bible. It is the foundation of the Jewish thought. If you have a a Jewish friend, uh, one of the things that they may say to you as a greeting is shalom. It's both a greeting as well as sort of a, a, a blessing at the end. This idea of shalom was important because this idea of shalom means peace. The Jewish had an interesting idea for peace, though. For the Jewish person, peace, shalom, was not tranquility, was not a sense of serenity. For them, peace was not an absence of conflict. For them, peace was much more total in in, in their humanity. In other words, it was about uh, the whole life and person being affected. When you say peace to the person, it was not just about a lack of conflict, but it was a transformation of the whole person. As one Hebrew lexicon states, the Hebrew word shalom is not the absence of war, but a positive state of rightness and well-being. Such peace only comes from the Lord. Numbers 623 has the idea of a covenant. The Lord is peace. In other words, a synonym to peace is salvation. Now, how many of us think of peace and salvation going together? But, but really, in the Jewish mindset, when you have peace, you have salvation with God and from God. Your whole being is changed. Your mindset, your heart, your affections, your actions. For a Jewish person to understand peace was a total transformation of, of a person, of a being. And so when the Jews were crying out in the Old Testament, we were, they were praying for the peace of Jerusalem. What they were praying for was a savior, was salvation. And I think the thing that is missing in our culture is that we have sort of mislabeled peace as the absence of conflict. But for a Christian, peace is our identity. And in this particular Christmas story, it is about bringing peace. Notice what it says here in this particular context. Uh, The time for Israel, by the way, was, was not a time of peace. Uh, even though there was governmental peace, the Romans had taken over all of the Western world, and uh, the the new leader called himself Caesar Augustus, the most exalted one, and he declared this thing called Pax Romana, and it lasted, which began in twenty seven BC, lasted over two hundred years of peace. But the irony of that was even though there was governmental peace, even though there was an absence of of, of war, there was Inner turmoil of people. There was oppression. People were running around. And in this one particular story, one of the edicts of Caesar was to make a declaration for taxation. And in chapter 2, verse 1, notice how it begins. You have this sort of scenic view of Caesar sitting in a palace. It says this in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a censor should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. Even though there was peace from a government perspective. There was a lack of peace among people. People were anxious. Because what happened was people had to go back into their own towns, the place of origin, and they had to register so that the government knew exactly how much you should give. Again, there was a problem. And the problem was this, that earthly peace is not sufficient. You now, when we talk about peace, uh, that Caesar uh, Augustus gave us peace to the world, but what he didn't give was the peace of mind and the peace of heart. One Stoic a philosopher, uh, Epictetus, said this, that while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which many yearn for more than outward peace. If you think about it, what's more important? External peace or internal peace? Why is there such a rise of suicides among the young? It's not because they don't live in nice houses or because they, have, they don't have things in their, in their room. They, they, they all have smartphones. They have an internet. They probably have a computer. But a lot of times these kids from highly affluent homes, take their lives because there's something deeply missing in their being. This lack of, of peace. See, earthly peace basically says to us that, uh, that no matter how economically or, uh, or even socially, hey, you could have whatever you want. And, and, and the irony is this, that the more we get for what we want, the less satisfied we become. One person said this, people search for peace in all the wrong places. Let me ask you, what's your definition of peace? What's your ideal image of peace? It's it's funny, when they asked this survey among some people, this is the image that they had. And many of us have the same image. What is peace? Well, peace to me would be getting uh, rid of, uh, you know, just getting away from people, sitting on an island, (laughs) Uh, Sitting on the beach with waves coming in, sunshine, palm trees in the air, and just not having a worry in the world. And for many of us, we think that that's what peace is, getting away from something. But the reality is getting away from something may actually lead you to something even worse. For example, there's a true story about a, a retired couple who were afraid of a nuclear war. So they took a serious study of all the inhabited places on the globe. Their goal was to determine where in in the world would be a place would be least affected by nuclear war, a place of ultimate security. So they studied and traveled and traveled and studied, and finally they found this place, an island off the coast of Argentina called Falkland Islands. Well, for those of you who know history, back in the 80s, Falkland Islands was nearly inhabited. But something happened. That there were two countries fighting for that piece of of island. It was Great Britain as well as Argentina. They started warring on that island. The irony is these people were looking for peace. They were running away, but instead they went right into conflict. So here's the reality of why we can't have peace on this earth is because deep in our hearts, we were not meant to be temporal beings. We were not meant to satisfy our urges. And thinking that those things that we satisfy will bring us peace actually leads to more distress. In um, a book by St. Augustine called The City of God, he makes this sort of uh, uh, statement in which he talks about whereby peace comes from in human society. He says this, The whole use then of things temporal has a reference to this result of earthly peace and earthly community while the city of God is connected to eternal peace. And therefore, if we were irrational animals, we should desire nothing beyond the proper arrangement of parts and satisfaction of appetites. Nothing, therefore, but bodily comfort and the abundance of pleasure. He's saying this, If all we were are animals... If all we were are temporal people, then all we would need is to satisfy our earthly urges. And as long as we satisfy those earthly urges, then we will be living in peace. But the Bible says it's something different. That we are not temporal beings. We are eternal beings created in the image of God. The reason that we can't have peace with the things around us is because those things around us do not satisfy the eternal desire of our hearts. The temporal things are only substitutes for something that is eternal. And because we yearn for something that is eternal, we cannot have peace. So St. Augustine later says this, that our hearts are restless. Until we find our rest in God. The reason we can never have. Earthly peace. Is because. Unless we have a, a. Eternal peace. That earthly peace. Is not sufficient. But the second thing is this. That peace is not a process. That peace is not something that we work through. It's not, it's not a, a contract. It's not a covenant between uh, two individuals. A peace treaty. Peace in the Bible, is actually identity. It's a person. If there's one thing the Christmas story represents to us, it is this. It is the first time in human history that true peace is announced. In Luke chapter 2, verse 14, when Jesus is born, something miraculous happens. The angels, it's sort of like this, this curtain is unveiled, and a chorus of angels begin to uh, uh, cry out in unison, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. The declaration of peace was not a plan that God had envisioned. The declaration of peace was actually a person. And that person was God himself in human flesh. The Christmas story is the ultimate peace story because it represents God's entry into mankind to remind us that the thing that is most key to being at peace is that we need to have peace with God before we can have the peace of God. The reason that we are so restless is because we try to substitute our desire for something that is eternal with something that is temporary. And so Jesus' name is peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he is called the Prince of Peace. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. When Jesus comes, the declaration he makes is in John chapter uh, 14, 27. He says this, Peace I leave to you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and be afraid. The two things that the world gives is fear and distress. The thing that God gives is peace. Christ brings peace to our lives because here is where restlessness comes from. It comes from our permanent separation from God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 to 16 says this, For he himself is our peace. Who has made 2-1 and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh with the commandments and regulations. What Jesus does is this. That he came so that he can remove the barrier that humanity has regarding peace. The reason there is no peace or goodwill is because the enemy is not each other. The enemy for mankind is God. And unless that sort of reconciliation between man and God takes place, there can never be true peace. And here's the thing. That's what Jesus does. Jesus in, in God in human flesh comes down, becomes like us, to demonstrate to us what true peace looks like. Jesus is what we would call the peace child. There was actually a true story that happened in Indonesia in one of the small islands There was a headhunting tribe called Sawi tribe. And a a, a man named Don Richardson uh, went over to Indonesia. And he was trying to bring the gospel to this cannibalistic uh, tribe. And he couldn't find a way to communicate the message of reconciliation, of Christ's atoning death. The Sawi villagers were constantly fighting amongst themselves. Because there was treachery, there was vengeance, and murder there seemed to be no hope for peace. The tribe, however, had this legendary custom that if one village gave a baby boy to the other village, peace would prevail between the two villages as long as the child lived. That baby was called the peace child. The missionary, when he heard that story, took that story and began to develop an analogy of what God does for us, Christ, he said, is God's divine peace child. He has offered us, himself to us. And because Christ lives eternally, his peace will never end. The analogy actually unlocked the gospel for the Sawi, a tribe. In a miraculous working of the Holy Spirit, they believed in Christ. And a strong church developed all because that they understood that Jesus was the one who brings peace. See, when we have peace with God, then we have the peace of God. And Jesus came to give us peace. You know, so how do we develop more peace? Well, John MacArthur, in one of his commentaries, makes an interesting analogy. He says this, Some of the earth's more violent weather occurs on the seas. But the deeper one goes, the more serene and tranquil the water becomes. Oceanographers report that the deepest parts of the sea are absolutely still. Isn't it interesting? The deeper we go, the more peace we have. And I think that's that's sort of the answer to the anxiety that we live in. The reason that so much of us have sort of calamity or distress or frustration or, or worry is because we live way too close to the top of the sea. We let circumstances determine our feelings. And so when uh, we lose our job or when the economy starts to tank or when there's war happening, we lack peace because our peace is determined by circumstances. But the deeper we go into a relationship with God, the more peace we have. And I've kind of learned that even in my own life. It's so easy to blame others for my lack of peace. But really, my lack of peace comes from my relationship with Christ. That no matter how difficult the situation may be, that Christ is the one who gives us peace. And here's the last point. That the product of peace, that when Christ enters into our lives, when we receive of him, when we trust him, when we are reconciled to God, the peace of God comes, transforms us, then we have peace, inner peace, and we have peace with other people. The product is this, when Christ rules, peace reigns in our life. When Christ rules, peace reigns in our life. In other words, when Christ is, is the captain of my soul, when Christ is the, is the king of my life, then peace becomes a byproduct. And, and, and several things happen. Number one, anxiety and worry disappear. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's the the thing that God says. God will replace our worry, our anxiety, with peace, as long as Christ is the one who guards our life. I grew up, uh, if there is one sin that I'm prone to commit, I think many of you can identify with this sin, is the sin of worry. And worry at its essence is a lack of trust in God's sovereignty. When we worry, we are not trusting in in God's future. We are sort of trying to determine our own future. And here's one thing I've realized. The more we try to control our lives, the more our lives become out of control. Because ultimately we can't control what's going to happen. I have no idea what 2020 is going to be like. I have no idea whether the stock market is going to go from its ultimate high to its ultimate end. I have no idea if if, if a government is going to launch a nuclear bomb and, and, and a country is going to be destroyed and millions of lives are going to be I have no idea what the future holds. But I do know who holds the future. And my peace comes not by the circumstances of life. My peace comes because Christ reigns and he takes away the worry and anxiety. But the second thing that happens when we have peace is that we become better people. We have what the Bible describes as a harvest of righteousness. James 3:18 uh, says this: "Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness." You know what happens when we sin? Instead of having peace, we have restlessness. But what happens when Christ reigns our lives? He forgives of our sins, and our hearts become like a harvest that's fertile, and God begins to plant seeds in our life that harvest righteousness. Goodness. Uh, things like generosity, hospitality, gentleness, kindness. All these things are a part of the peace. That when we have peace with God, that we have the peace of God, and then we become righteous people. The third thing is this, that when Christ's peace reigns, we can have confidence of God's presence in all situations. That we don't have to worry if God is going to abandon us because God is ever present. 2 Thessalonians 3:16 says, Now may the God of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. And then he says this: the Lord is with you always. The thing that the reason that we can have peace is this: that we're never alone. That God Himself will walk alongside us. And throughout the Bible, one of the things that, that we are assured of as the people of God, the reason that we can have peace is this the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside the quiet pastures. The Bible says, the Lord will never leave us or forsake us. Knowing that God is on your corner, on your side, gives us peace. That life doesn't have to be a lonely adventure. But it could be an adventure with God alongside of us. But there's a fourth element of peace. Is that peace reconciles people together. The fourth element of peace is that when we have peace, guess what happens? There is unity in the church. There is unity in relationships. Ephesians 4.3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That we're not fighting with God anymore. We don't have to fight with each other anymore. And there's reconciliation that takes place between people, between races, between culture. Instead of having racial strife and trying to sort of claim my rights as an individual, that we give up our rights for the sake of others. We have peace because our identity is not in our race. Our identity is not in our economics. Our identity is not even in our experience. Our identity is in a person who gives us peace. One of the most important things to realize is that peace through individuals does not come because we write legislation or because we tell people, let's just get along. Peace comes because I have peace with God and the peace of God. You know, when I think about the Christmas story, we can only have peace when Christ is the center of our lives. Maybe the reason that your heart is restless, maybe the reason that you struggle with your work, your marriage, your family, is because you're lacking peace. You're lacking a foundation in relationship with God. In John 14, 26, Jesus says, my peace I give to you. But the only way peace can be attained is that it is costly. Peace is not cheap. When God became human flesh, he became vulnerable in that baby. Imagine all the ways God could have come God could have come in, 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 sort of on chariots, riding as an angel, and all the angels could have come and and made this declaration that God is is coming. But God didn't do that. Instead, he came as a vulnerable baby to grow up with all the aspects of humanity so that he can identify with us, we can identify with God. God experienced everything that humanity experienced. But not only that, he was willing to give up his life for you and me. That true peace is always costly. I think about the story. Um, There was a monk in the 5th century. His name was Telemachus. And Telemachus lived his life in the pursuit of God. And he lived alone. He thought the way you become close to God is get away from people. So he was alone in the desert praying, fasting, meditating. And one day God spoke to him. And one day he realized that instead of living a selfless life, he was actually living a self-centered life. By getting away from people, he was actually making himself sort of being tuned with God but infecting nobody else. So God convicted his heart. And he began to say, if I were to serve God, then I need to serve men. So he decided to return to the city where there was sin and need. And God led him on this road to Rome. And he headed for Rome. And when he arrived in Rome, there was a, uh, a Roman general uh, named Stilicho who had won a great victory against the Goths. And this Rome was officially Christian. Triumph poured in and, and into the churches. The churches were now recognized. But there was one still pagan uh, practice that still lingered in Christian Rome, and that was the gladiator games. While Christians were not thrown into the lions, prisoner of wars were cast into the arena to fight each other and kill each other. And the spectators roared with blood, lust as the gladiators battled. Telemachus happened to arrive on the day of one of these gladiator games. And as people were streaming to the, to the Colosseum, 80,000 people were gathered. They were crying out loud for people to kill each other, people to shed blood. And Telemachus, when he saw what was happening on the, on, on the Colosseum floor was in utter shock. This poor monk who wanted to help people started to cry out. He said, in the name of Christ forbear, in the name of Christ forbear. And nobody would listen. And so finally he runs down to the stadium floor, gets out of the stadium floor, and starts to yell at the people, in the name of Christ forbear, you can't do this. Well, people weren't listening to this little monk. So this monk could only do one thing. He can go out and try to keep people from killing themselves. He wanted to be a peacemaker. And he stood before two gladiators who were fighting. And he said, please don't do this in the name of Christ forbear. But these gladiators were, were out to protect their own lives. So they, one of the gladiators took the sword and actually uh, cut, stabbed, and killed Telemachus. As blood began to flow from his body, as he lay in his crimson, um, the sea of blood, the people were in utter shock. For this monk, who had been crying out, was now dead. Well, historian tells us that the rest of the contests were canceled that day. As people began to walk out in silence, as this monk laid there, dead. Three days later, Honorius, the Roman emperor, declared Telemachus a martyr and ended all gladiator contests for the rest of Roman history. Historian Edward Gibbons observed the following His death was more useful to mankind than his life. He gave up his life for peace. And when Jesus was born, he gave up his life. So that we can have peace. And when we trust and believe in Jesus and we are united back with God, then God gives us something that we could never have gotten on our own. He gives us inner peace. He He helps us to understand that that life is not temporal but is eternal. He helps us to understand that, that no matter how difficult our situation is, that God has our life in his control. And because of that, we can have peace. On this Christmas Sunday morning, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, the greatest gift that God gives to us is shalom, is peace. And that peace is not wrapped up in a nice little ribbon. That peace is in a person that hung on the cross, that bled and died for you. So that once you believe in him and trust him and and then he resurrected, that that life can bring ultimate peace. So if you're struggling with anxiety and worry, restlessness, let's enter 2020 with this hope that Christ is our peace.